So you want to turn in your Bibles today? We're going to be in Numbers chapter 24 and then end up in Matthew 2 and a few other places in the Word, but those are our two starting scriptures today. The title of today's message is Follow the Light. And I have an honest question. How many people here somewhat dread the time and the season between Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve? Does anybody here kind of dread that time of year? I know I used to be one of them especially before I moved up here. It always got busier at work on the ambulance or on the fire department. And people just start getting nasty with each other and short-tempered and all the patients would be more crabby. And there was always extra things going on at church that you know the full-time guys are telling the, the uh, volunteer or part-time guys that, well, if you're committed to the kingdom of God, you'll be here. It's like, I work 60 hours a week and you want me to come back. But, you know, they always had something that would require more time. And sleep and rest were often thrown out the window. And there's not only that, but there's a whole lot of Christmas parties out there to attend. And um, especially if you have several jobs, you have to go to everybody's Christmas party then. And then you end up seeing your um, co-workers being silly and generally intoxicated. And that was the talk of the office the next day after those, uh, many of those parties. And let's not even talk about trying to go shopping anywhere. If you've ever been to a major city and try to go Christmas shopping, especially on Black Friday or Christmas Eve, it's a contact sport. It really is. I mean, you'll have people shoving, people pushing, people will literally like hit your cart with their cart to go and, and try to get that next thing. I mean, we've even seen news stories where it's turned deadly in some cases where people just fight over trying to get the next gift. And I was just glad when that was all over and, and we could just rest right after Christmas. However, coming up here, it's become a little bit more relaxed for me. I like it. I've learned to love this time of year. Most of the time, people are friendlier around here. There's more times of fellowship. I like to build up to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And I love celebrating the holiday with people in the Cooley community. The other day, we drove down to see the rotary lights down in La Crosse. If you don't know what that is, it's a, there's a park right next to the Mississippi River. They set up hundreds and thousands of Christmas lights. It's, it's really pretty. And this time, we drove down to walk through it. And we went last year as well. And I thought I knew the exact route to take, so I didn't bother to look at a map before I went down. And as we drove down, I missed the turn, and I'm looking through all the buildings trying to see, okay, if I could see the lights, I could figure out where this place is. And I could see just some of the lights through some of the buildings, and after about 10 minutes of backtracking and moving around, I finally pulled up to the right part of where I needed to go and park. And just like me trying to find the rotary lights, part of the Christmas story involves some people following the light to get to where they needed to go. And that light is commonly known as the Star of Bethlehem. And the Star, the star of Bethlehem was first talked about in the Bible very, very early in Exodus. And about 400 years before the birth of Jesus, the Old Testament prophet Daniel became very famous in the Babylonian Empire where these wise men came from. This vast empire was located where today would be Iraq and Iran. And Daniel was considered one of the wisest of the wise men during his time. He was the chief wise man, the guy who ended up training all the other wise men who came after them. And these wise men were not just mystics. These were not just people who made horoscopes and, and people who would read chicken bones and all this, uh, this other stuff that we think about spiritual wise men in their day. These were men who were trained in the sciences. 
They were trained in healthcare. They were trained in military strategy. And they were trained in astronomy. So they knew about the stars. And part, other part of their training would be, be to read and absorb all of the wisdom of the cultures that that empire had conquered. So when a new uh, country would get conquered, they would take in all of their great literature and they would learn that for themselves and they would search out this literature. And of particular interest with that, of them would be to evaluate any um, thing that happened in their past that could be a threat to the empire today. So the scriptures in the Old Testament, when they absorbed the kingdom of Israel into their kingdom, the, um, the scriptures concerning a great king who would be born one day would have stood out to them. And through all these studies, under the tutelage of Daniel, they learned about the birth of a great king that was coming. They learned that this great king would be announced by some sort of astronomical phenomena, and the, which the Bible refers to as a star. And that star would provide the light and direction needed for them to find this king and to pay him homage. We're going to look at a few of those scriptures this morning. The first one is in Numbers 24:17, And it's a prophecy that was actually not given by a Christian or a Jewish person. It was given by a pagan prophet named Balaam, who was called by a pagan king to curse Israel before they entered into the promised land. But, but God had other plans, and Balaam came under the influence of the Holy Spirit, who then, he then spoke of a future king coming out of, an is, coming out of Israel. And this was before they even became a nation. And it's called the Star Prophecy, and it's found in Numbers 24, 17. And Balaam prophesied, he said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. And this is the prophecy taught to the wise men by Daniel almost 400 years prior to the advent of Jesus that drove the wise men to travel almost two years to, to find the child Jesus in Bethlehem. Balaam, who was not even a believer, saw as through a mirror darkly. He saw as through a mirror darkly the glory of the advent, but the wise men were about to see it face to face. And that's where we'll pick up the story in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, Magi is another word for wise men in the Bible, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report it to me, so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen, 
when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just take this story of Christmas and help it make it alive again in our hearts. Often when we read the same scriptures over and over again, they start to, to lose their immediacy to us. Help us to see the importance of always coming to Bethlehem's child and worshiping him with everything in our lives. Not only when he came 2,000 years ago, but when he is going to come again soon. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. So the big idea I want to look at today is that the star prophecy and numbers that led the wise men has several things it can teach us about our pursuit of Jesus today. And as I pray and meditated about this message, thinking of the, the different ways of, of presenting what the Holy Spirit wants to remind us about, in this time and place, it occurred to me that we in the church in the 21st century are in the exact same place the wise men were 2,000 years ago. And that is in a state of waiting. And like the wise men who are scanning the skies, watching and waiting for a sign that indicates the coming king, we in the church of Jesus Christ are also watching and waiting for the return of the king. Although this season usually focuses about how Jesus entered the world, we also need to consider um, how he left it and why he left it, and most importantly, how he will come again. But instead of looking to the skies for some astronomical phenomenon or answer to light our way, we can look at Jesus' own words regarding his return. After all, Proverbs 1.19 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and is a light unto my path. So let's look at the words of Jesus and let it give us light today about how we are to approach his second coming. Because Jesus spoke at length about this prior to going to the cross. In ancient times when a king would leave for an extended period of time, if you think even back to the Middle Ages when Richard the Lionhearted would go out to go fight in one of the Crusades, Richard the Lionhearted would give a lot of instruction to his, his servants and a lot of instructions to his viceroy and a lot of instructions to the people who are going to be left behind of exactly how he wanted his kingdom to be ran and how they were to behave while he was gone. And Jesus did this in Matthew 25. This whole chapter of Scripture gives us exact instructions of what we are to focus on as we prepare for the return of Jesus to this earth. Because Jesus is not coming back the same way he came the first time. He's not coming back to be a helpless baby in a manger. He's not coming back in secret. He's not coming back as a servant. He's never going to come back again to be beaten and shamed and crucified. He's coming back to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But before that dreadful day of the Lord, he will come back for those who are calling him Lord and King right now. The Bible says that the Lord will come down from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are left will be caught up or raptured to meet the Lord in the air. 
where he will bring us to live with him always. And what a day that will be, amen? Amen. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. But before that happens, our king left us some instructions for us to do before he returns. And those instructions are to be found in the whole of Matthew 25. There are three parables here, but we're only going to focus on the first one to see what is expected of us before our king returns. Jesus' first expectation for us is to be watchful. And sometimes it seems like we hear sermons like this over and over and over again. We hear the pastor has been preaching about this all of our lives. And depending on how old you are, our parents and grandparents have heard this same message all of their lives. Our grand, my grandparents, for example, were convinced that World War II was the end of the world. They were convinced Hitler was the Antichrist. They were convinced the rapture was going to happen at any moment and that Jesus was going to come back and usher in his kingdom. But it's been about 1,980 years since Jesus spoke the parable of the ten virgins. However, its truth is even more important today that in a time when people are focused on everything other than God and his kingdom. In Matthew 25, he gives the parable of the ten virgins. And he said, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here is the bridegroom! Come out and meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil! Our, Our lamps are going out! No, they replied, there may not be enough for us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who went, who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open up for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. You do not know the day or the hour. For the last several years, various people have tried to tell us that the rapture will happen on this day or next. A few years ago, a guy made national news when he said, rapture's going to happen on this day in September. Well, that day in September came and it went and there was no rapture. The guy said, you know what? Forgot to carry a one, messed up the math a little bit. It's going to happen in a few weeks. A few weeks came by. Still, no rapture. We never hear about this guy since. Jesus himself said that during this, his time on earth, even he didn't know the time or date. It's a secret that's held only within the triune God. You say, why is it a secret? Why didn't God just tell us that I'm coming back on September 25th, 2020? Why didn't he just give us a date? Because he wants us to live by faith and not by sight or by a date and a calendar. I mean, let's just be honest. If God gave us a date... I'll say, we'll just pick one out, and I'm going to ruin it. So if God has picked September 25th, as a, 2020 as a rapture, it's not going to change. But, just kidding. But if God picked that date and said, I am going to have the rapture at 
midnight Jerusalem time. There's going to be a cry goes out, the trumpet's at his lips. It's going to blow and we're all going to be taken to heaven. How do we all live until September 24th? We'd want to do whatever we want until September 24th and then repent before September 25th got it. Maybe if you were really careful, you'd give it a week. But most people would do just that. See, God knows the human heart. He wants us to live by faith. So be watchful, for you do not know the day or the hour of his return. It could happen before the end of this message. Some people are saying, hallelujah, please. It could happen tonight, or it could happen before we open a single present in the morning. Or your grandchildren may listen to a very similar message someday, and someday the trumpet blast may blow them and usher them into the kingdom of God. We just don't know. And therefore, the second lesson from the parable needs to be considered, and that is be ready. In the parable, it speaks about five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. The parable shows us that the wise virgins were the only ones allowed into the wedding feast, which is a foreshadowing of the wedding supper of the Lamb that all believers will participate in immediately after the rapture. What made the wise virgins ready? Well, they kept their oil ready and they kept their lamps trimmed. The oil is a metaphor of being filled with the Holy Spirit, being passionately in love with Jesus Christ. Pursuing His plan and His kingdom agenda for our lives. A trimmed lamp is an example of having our lives ordered according to the Word of God so that the things of this world have no appeal to us. And the wise virgins cry out to us today as we consider the third lesson. is to be persistent. You'll notice that the wise virgins were not lackadaisical about looking for their bridegroom. They stayed watchful. They stayed ready. They kept their oil. They kept their lamps trimmed. They were persistent in their pursuit of God. And my friends, too many of us are playing it safe in our relationship with God. And some of us are coasting and hoping that the end is close enough where all the momentum we've gathered throughout the years will be enough to get us over the finish line. The problem is it doesn't work in the spiritual realm. It does not work that way in our spiritual lives. Spiritually speaking, we are on roller skates with two rubber bands connected at our, at our hips that are dragging us back toward the world. And the moment we stop striving, the moment we stop trying, the moment we stop trying to, get to, try, trying to pursue Jesus, those rubber bands pull us right back into the world. There is no coasting in the kingdom of God. We need to be persistent in our walk with God because there's no other option. It's a matter of life or death because trying to coast means you go backwards. And that brings us to our last point this morning. Is you need to make a decision to continue to be with Christ. That lesson is to be decisive. The wise, five wise virgins, they have their lamps trimmed. They have their oil ready. They're looking toward the horizon when the bridegroom returns. And then the shout goes up, that midnight cry we all want to hear. The bridegroom is coming. But what if they had just rolled over and gone back to sleep? What if they had said, it's midnight. Why did he have to come at midnight? I'm not ready. I'm just too tired today. 
or there's still a whole lot of life to live. There's a whole lot of things for me to experience before I surrender it all to follow Jesus. I'll do it next year. I'll make it 2018's um, New Year's resolution. If that would have happened at that time, they would have been locked out of the wedding feast. And in our case, if you're locked out of the wedding fleece, if you do not experience the rapture, you go through the horrors of the Great Tribulation. The wise virgins didn't. They acted immediately to rush out to meet the bridegroom. We see the necessity even to be decisive in the original Christmas story. We spent a lot of time talking about how everyone got ready for Jesus' first coming. Mary had to believe the message. She had to go through public scorn about being an unwed mother. During that time, she technically by law should have been stoned, but Joseph took her at his wife anyway. And then he prepared to take her on a journey. He made that decision. The shepherds made a decision to go hear um, the good news and then go walk into Bethlehem and kneel at a manger. The wise men made a huge decision. They followed the light for two years across some of the most dangerous parts of the world to go and find a newborn king. But just like the first coming, his second coming will require some effort on our parts to find our king, to be ready to meet our king, to make that decision to live for him now. We need to follow the light of the world that he's given us in his word, the Holy Bible, so that we can kneel before him. Because my friends, on God's prophetic clock, it is 11.59 and 59.9 seconds. The midnight cry, I believe it's about to ring in the heavens. I believe it as much today as I did when I came to saving faith in Jesus that the trumpet is at the lips of the archangel. And Jesus is poised to come in on the clouds and bring us to him. And my question to you today would be, is or are you ready? Are you living for God or are you trapped by the things of this world? Or have you started coasting in your walk with God and you feel the pull of the world dragging you backwards? If that is you, if, you, if, you, if that rings true in your heart at all, Jesus has some final words for you this morning. These words are not a rebuke as much as they are a loving appeal to return to what is most important in life. And that is having Jesus as the Lord and the King over top of you and over your entire life. Jesus told the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had for me at first. Consider how you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. My friends, Jesus is calling you this morning to follow the light. Let that light wash over you again. Let it renew the wonder of Bethlehem's manger and guide you back to kneel and worship. Jennifer and Tammy, if you'd come back up. Because if you do all of that, you're going to be ready for that midnight cry. And at that midnight cry, you'll run straight into his arms and straight into the reward that he has waiting for you.
I would ask you this morning, as we prepare to open gifts later on, that you give Jesus a Christmas present this morning and turn your life over to Him.